This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing, let the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be happy, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be happy, let none deceive another, or despite any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness, over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection, this is said to be the sublime abiding by not holding to false views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. <coughs> Well, I, I did think, what, is there anything suitable for Christmas in, in Buddhism? And um, actually I thought, that for me the equivalent to, to Christmas would be um, the Buddha's enlightenment. Because the, the Buddha's birth, he, he was an ordinary person up to his enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, he started teaching the Dhamma. So I thought what I could do tonight is I just basically read out the Sutta of the Buddha's first teaching after his enlightenment. I mean, both of you will, will know it probably very well, um, but it's like sometimes it's still nice to hear it again and re-emphasize it. Um, I read it from um, 
Venerable Moli's The Life of the Buddha, the book. That's one of the books I can really recommend. It's uh, Moli was one of the German Sri Lankan early monks uh, last century, and he created his book The Life of the Buddha, which is basically nothing but suttas, but sorted as much it can be according to the. Buddha stages his life, from the birth story to the de to death to the first Buddhist council. Um, it's all very well-known suttas, but the fact that he connected it in a timeline makes it a little bit more interesting. Mm. Uh, and you don't have to to read all the four big, thick books to, to get an idea of the Buddha's life. Mm. So the translation might be a little bit old-fashioned, but I still... Uh, I, I like it. So, after the Buddha's enlightenment, as you remember, so he, he thought, who, who can I tell about it? And his first idea was to go and see his three former teachers, and then he was told that all of them died. So the Buddha decided to go and see the five companions he, he stayed with before. And when he approached them, they basically they didn't really want to talk to him because or they eventually did, but they said, uh, you, you can't be enlightened because you you indulge in sensory pleasures. Because the Buddha ate and didn't mm. didn't uh, do the very ascetic practices. So he didn't really believe them. And then the Buddha's teaching starts with um, the teaching of the middle way. And that's why I turned, that's uh, some Uttarikaya 5611. Because there are these two extremes that ought not to be cultivated by one who has gone forth or by any layperson. What two? There is devotion to pursuit of pleasure and sensual desires, which is low, coarse, vulgar, ignoble, and harmful. And there is devotion to self-mortification, which is painful, ignoble and harmful. The middle way discovered by the perfect one avoids both these extremes. It gives vision, <coughs> gives knowledge and leads to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to Nibbana. And what is the middle way? It is the noble eightfold path, that is to say right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. That is the middle way discovered by the perfected one, which gives vision, gives knowledge and leads to peace, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment, to Nibbana. Um, so yes, the Buddha explains the middle way for monastics. It's I think for lay people it's a bit harder to decide what's middle way. For monastics it's pretty easy. So for example, when it comes to food, every day we do this contemplation before we eat to recollect what the food is for. It's not for enjoyment, not for taste, not for, not for desire, not for um, slimming or fattening up. It's just to keep the body going for the next day. Mm. The same with the ropes. The three ro ropes are just 
to keep us warm and protected, not for the looks of it. Um, yeah, and but over time, perception can change. I within the monastics, within lay people life, it's. I think these days the trend is to move the middle way a little bit more to the comfortable side. But <laughs> then again, when I when I look to the to the Buddha's. Uh, recommendations for the monks, for example, the the hut is dedicated to protect from sun, wind, and rain, from hot and cold, from for uh, from mosquitoes and animals. Not for any more. Mm. So that's that's the middle way. These days, it, people would say, "Oh, that's very ascetic," but it's what the Buddha considered the middle way. And I, for myself. I got this guideline that basically the the most simple way to keep my body in a shape to practice well is that's the middle way for me. So as as simple as possible. What about the Pitanga practices? I mean, yes, one, yes, I've taken up a few of them. They are uh, the Buddha. The Buddha praised them, so he, he didn't make it a general rule. But for example. So some of the, the Tokatan practices, like you, you mix your food before you eat it, or when you go in Pindabad, you don't do not skip a house. You take whatever is given, no matter by whom. Or um, when it comes to accommodation, you you accept whatever kudi is allocated by the sangha. You don't pick the, the extra good kudi with the aircon or the power. Um, they are designed to to point out the defilements mm. because if you if you do these practices you come up with oh I want something better or the food would be nice if I don't mix it up and then you see where you still touch to to earthly things I mm. think that is the point of the, these practices. Yeah, when you had sort of Mahakasapa who practiced the Pitanga yeah. all his life. All his monastic life, yeah, and he, yeah. without sort of fail, I think. Yes. Whereas um, others sort of, and, and maybe both, maybe never to it. And <laughs> Mahakasapa and the others got enlightened. It's just I think it depends on the personality what you need. Mm. You need a bit more restraint to get to to become aware of your defilements. Then it might be good for you. Other people don't need it. Um, but what was new for me, or, or new again, is that actually when, when he says, what is the middle way, the middle way is the Eightfold Path. So that's already the Eightfold Path. It's, yeah, I thought it's two different teachings, but it's the same teaching. Mm. And so that Eightfold Path, as you know, is the fourth noble truth. And then, so that's the first half of the, of the first teaching of this enlightenment. And then he continues with the exposition of the Four Noble Truths. <clears throat> there is this Noble Truth of suffering. Birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, death is suffering. Sorrow and lamentation, pain, grief and despair are suffering. Association, association with the loathed is suffering. Dissociation from the loved is suffering. Not to get what one wants is suffering. In short, 
the five aggregates affected by clinging are suffering. There is this noble truth of the origin of suffering. It is craving which produces renewal of being, is accompanied by relish and lust, relishing this and that, in other words, craving for sensual desires, craving for being, craving for non-being. There is this noble truth of the cessation of suffering. It is the remainderless fading and ceasing, the giving up, relinquishing, letting go and rejection of the same craving. There is this noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering. It is this noble eightfold path, that is to say right view, right attention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration. There is this noble truth of suffering, so now it it's, goes a little bit more into detail about the, the noble truth. And I only read the first one because it's the same wording for every single one of them. There is this noble truth of, the, of suffering, such was the insight, the knowledge, the understanding, the vision, the light that arose in me about things not heard before. This noble truth must be penetrated to be fully knowing suffering. Such was the insight, the knowledge, the understanding, the vision, the light that arose in me about things not heard before. This noble truth has been penetrated to by fully knowing suffering. Such was the insight, the knowledge, the understanding, the vision, the light that arose in me about things not heard before. And I've heard that many times before, but this three parts of what is suffering kind of was still was new to me. So first, there is the, you see there is suffering, that's the first step. Then the second step is to realize this noble truth must be penetrated, so it must be, it's a better word, understood. Understood. Yeah. Contemplated. Contemplated. <laughs> yeah. And then the last step is this noble truth has been penetrated. So that's when you finished when when you have understood it to the to the fullest. Mm. And there are many suttas when the Buddha points out um, enlightenment is the full understanding of the Four Noble Truth. So it's again what, what's always in Buddhism this this process from seeing suffering see, to fully understanding suffering. It sounds so simple, you know. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah. Life, all you have to do is you know, understand the Four Noble Truths and then you're enlightened. <laughs> Yeah, and but, uh, uh, yeah, but to really understand them is much oh, more, yeah, it's, more there's difficult. A <laughs> lot of work and much effort. But so this is the very first teaching, and when you think about it, every other teaching in the suttas, I couldn't come up with any other. So, what's there? Um, dependent origination, or the satipatthanas, or different types of meditation. It all is is a explanation of the Four Noble Truth. So, dependent origination goes into um, Second Noble Truth, the origin of suffering. Dependent cessation would be the Third Noble Truth. All the, the talks about meditation uh, would be um, the Noble Eightfold Path would be the Fourth Noble Truth. 
karma. It, it all goes in there. So all the Buddha does is he just refines the teaching of the Four Noble Truth and makes tries to make it easier to break down and to see the the different parts of the of the Four Noble mm-hmm. Truth. And even in, in the first teaching, in the in the middle way teaching, which seems so short, there are actually the, all the four noble truths in there. The the extremes, indulging and asceticism, are suffering. The devotion to the extremes is the origin of suffering. The following the middle way leads to the end of suffering. So the third noble truth, and then the eightfold path, which is obvious in there. As the fourth noble truth, so it's all, yeah, it's, it's all very methodically, and it's all in in the simple simple sutta. Uh, Not getting what you want is suffering, but there's a Sufi saying saying getting what you want is also suffering. Of course, <laughs> of course, because there's the want in there. Mm. Giving up of the wanting is, yeah. is the end. But I mean, that's not mentioned by the Buddha there. <laughs> um, well, it is. It is mentioned in the third noble truth. You know, the, the letting go, <laughs> the rejecting, mm. the giving up. Yeah. I find that I get a free ride from getting old and decrepit, in that it, you don't have as much desire. But uh, so when I listen to the Eightfold Path, what I notice is is that without any great effort on my part, many things those will become easier. But down toward the end, when you're talking about right mindfulness and right concentration, that is where I have to work at my age. Uh, I don't. I'm not fussed about food anymore. I couldn't care less. You know, I went to Christmas dinner today. You know, like. I could have skipped the whole thing; wouldn't have bothered yeah. me at all. But um, you know, and I, that's not virtue. That's just getting old. You know, I didn't have to accomplish that. But um, I do when I catch myself thinking after, you know, after a few seconds of of trying to not think and realizing that in my I may have made made the best effort I could to not to, yeah. to not be indulging myself with thought. I don't mean yeah. just a passing thought. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, that uh, I have a long way to go with right concentration and right mindfulness, I notice. You know. Yeah, I know where you come from. I mean, I'm, I'm not that young either, and, I, and it, it's get harder, it's getting harder to just sit not being distracted but um, I think what helped me is Ajahn Brahm often gives this teaching and I find it extremely useful saying you just sit there not wanting anything mm-hmm. whatever comes up even if you're distracted if it happens you get sucked in and think just uh, be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Don't want anything better because as soon as you want a better meditation, yes. you want something and it goes only mm-hmm. down a little from there. So sometimes I just make myself aware again and again when I get into the meditation, mm-hmm. contented and easily satisfied. 
And Thank you. That on its own stops it's a, a lot of things happening. It's a middle way, isn't it? It's, you know, it's like if you if you ruthlessly try to stop thinking, you're overdoing. Oh, absolutely. Pushing absolutely. it away, or you know, yeah. yeah. And then, but whatever whatever happens in meditation, I mean, we we are talking about that's the seventh factor of right mindfulness. Right? Um, whatever happens. As long as it's possible to just be aware of what happens, that is the right way. Where it becomes dangerous or not useful is when you start interfering, wanting to push it somewhere. And just indulge it. I love to think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even that... Um, it's actually, you can see it as, as fourth Sadipatthana meditation. You contemplate mind objects. If you know, you see I'm thinking, and you, see, you just look what's happening. Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? What am I thinking about? Not, mm -hmm. Again, not thinking about that, just trying to watch what is happening. Watch it, is still, it is still the right thing to do. I mean, whatever... And, and we always say, you don't jump onto the breath. Whatever comes to you when you close your eyes, that's what, what you take as your object. Mm. If it's pain, if it's thinking, you take it, you be with it. And if it settles down and the breath comes up, then you go with the breath because mm -hmm. that's just... That's happened. Yeah. That's one thing that goes from more coarse to more fine and fine and fine and sometimes some days the breath just vanishes and there is this mm -hmm. beautiful stillness left. Oh, that's helpful, thank you. Um, but whatever happens, even if it's the worst meditation ever, it's pointless to to want anything better because again, the t teaching is everything is cause and condition, right? Mm -hmm. So if my meditation is restless or thinking or wanting to be somewhere else, that is still the best that can happen with today's causes and conditioning. No need to be unhappy, uh, unhappy about that. It's just tomorrow the conditioning is different and... Right. So I would suggest... On that topic, you know, I, yeah. I found that it's impossible for me to stop thinking, and I really doubt that it is possible, <coughs> because as soon as you're, as soon as you're aware of a thought, you've already thought something, haven't you? So when um, you actually s stop thinking, if it does happen to me, I'm not aware of it, you know, because if I'm aware of it, then I've s I've thought about it already. So that's what yeah. I, that's how I feel. Yes. Well, I, I can say that it is possible, but I. Oh. <laughs> wow. Um, it is possible. It is. The mind is. It's what thinking is, is the mind being restless. Have you had the experience that you're aware of that you're not thinking? Uh, yes, but it's not. It's an awareness. Awareness is mindfulness. Yeah. So being being aware, I'm thinking, and thinking about thinking is two different things. Uh, I can sit there, my mind is restless, 
and I'm aware of that and I try to not to interfere and the thoughts come up and go and come up and go but even the thoughts can stop at some point mm-hmm. uh, I'll try to, yeah. try to be more aware of Adam Branham's method of <clears throat> Talking and having a space between the words. Yeah. In that space between the words, you're not thinking because you're waiting for my next word. <laughs> if you know what I mean, you know. So that's a little, <laughs> a little gap of not thinking, if you like. Ajahn Brahm also has this uh, teaching of the mind. See the mind as the two citadels, the knower and the doer. The doer part of your mind is doing the thinking. Mm. And the knower is just it's the, aver- it's the awareness, it's the observer. Mm. It's seeing there is thinking going on. Mm. And they are kind of independent. So um, the doer usually stops first in meditation. You, you do less and less, you think less, you, you forget about yourself, you, your, your senses. Uh, turn off. The knower is still there. The knower is is mindfulness, mm. and that that stays with to the to the end, nearly to the end. Mm. Yeah. It's very hard to distinguish from in between those. You know, in my own practice. Yeah. Sometimes I it is. I don't ever stop thinking. I can't say that that for sure. You know, I doubt that. Yeah. But what I know as a problem for me is I used to have this issue with analyzing what's going on, mm-hmm. which is kind of thinking. Yeah. Um, it's it's better now. I can't tell you how how it went became better probably just over time, and because I try to keep the analyzing to the end, wait mm. to after the meditation, and, and then I think what what happened. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Okay. Shall we give it half an hour? Yes. I want to say that I'm sorry I didn't realize it was starting at seven. This event today. Oh, is it usually later? <laughs> we always start. I thought seven. it was off today. Oh, but that's fine. We had an okay time. Yeah, that's good. Just Thank you for joining. Just hang out. Yeah. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm not guiding you. You know what I'm doing.
Yeah, I couldn't stop thinking now for a while. Um, there are two little points I wanted actually now to make that in uh, all the teachings about meditation and Anapanasati Sutra and Sadhipatthanas, the first step that's always mentioned but very often ignored before it comes to meditation is this half sentence putting away grief and covetousness for the world. Putting away what? Grief and covetousness, which is. Grief and covetousness, yeah. Yeah, kind of. For me, for me, for me it's a old fashioned English, it's like attraction to the world or, you know, engaging with the world, yeah. The same renunciation. Yeah, and um, so if it depends, thinking can be either, it comes under the five hindrances, either interest in the world, which would be the antidote, would be renunciation, or it could be just restlessness, which comes from, from the mind sense. Mm. Um, I think what can be helpful with a lot of thinking, thinking is uh, trying some walking meditation. Because mm. when, when you walk and then you are at the end of the, your path and you turn around and your mind wandered off, you can set it back on, on your feet and yeah. every time you are there, you set it back, and if it happens for the mind to slow down, then you you just realize that your walk walking pace also slows down. And if that happens, then it might be the right time to to go straight from walking to sitting and use this this um, calmness to to try sitting meditation. Uh, sorry, I missed that. Um, you mean when your walking pace slows down, your mind slows down? At the same no, time? Well, usually for me it's the other way around. Okay. If, if yeah. I'm restless and agitated, you know, you start at the, at the pace that's just comfortable for you or feels uh, yeah. normal. Yeah, yeah. So, which can be quite brisk because your mind is all over the place. Mm. And if it happens that your mind, because you focus on, on what's going on in your feet when, when you do walking meditation, and then gives the, the mind a chance to to stop thinking, to become calmer. And yeah. usually I, I realize that as the mind comes down, also my pace gets slower. I, yeah, so. right. And the second one was, um, I, I saw in Sutta Central, I'm, I don't have a chance to go online that many times, that all the major suttas and many of the smaller books at Dhammapada and the sayings of the, of the nuns and the monks, they are now available for, available for download as e-books for free. Mm. So either an EPUB or PDF or text file, I think. Which is good for me because not being online, we can't read his translations. But yeah. mm. I know. <coughs> I'd just like to say thanks for coming to uh, what time and the other and still not over come at any time. Okay, uh, somebody has to leave the chanting now, please. Well the others do. Yeah. <coughs> now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration. Through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all the virtuous leaders of the world, may the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, 